Welcome to Office Hours. The photographers are in. I'm Ashton Staniszewski. I'm David Patino. And our podcast talks about the things that go bump in the night in the creative world. Office Hours is the flagship podcast of the You Don't Need That Camera, Do You? podcast network. Disagree. You always need the camera. Always. So this is a great segue. Uh, so David and I were actually getting into um, if we had to do it again, or as we're going into these things now, how we buy and sell equipment for our businesses. Um, so incredible segue. I don't know how we did that. That was magic. Um, Good. We actually have two somewhat different schools of thought on this. Um, and I think I like to always kick it off to David to start because he's always he's always better at this. So David, how do you buy your gear and how do you sell your gear? Uh, so it's here's the deal. If I knew then what I knew now, <laughs> I would have done it all differently. But that being said, uh, I like to buy stuff on sale when possible, and I like to buy the best possible gear at that moment. I like to take the tech out of the equation, basically. So like when I get on set, I don't have to think about like, oh, is this the right camera for the job? Because I've already spent too much money on it, and I know that it can do everything that I possibly need it to do. So that's kind of the way I look at it. And I'm also comfortable carrying mounds of debt, so I don't mind financing gear. Um but I very rarely pay full price for stuff. Uh, and that being said, when I do pay for stuff, I keep it for a very long time and I run it into the ground as much as possible, which is the only reason that it kind of works for me. Because if I were to just like keep stuff for a few months and sell it, I think I would go insane. Because then I would just feel like I'm buying the wrong stuff all the time. Yeah. Uh, gas, I guess, is the technical term that we call it in our world. Uh, gear yeah. acquisition syndrome. Yeah. And it is a, it's a real thing. I mean, like, I think that's... It, it puts some people out of business. It puts a lot of people uh, in a deficit or behind the eight ball uh, when it comes to getting off the ground or even if you're well-established even. Um, but they're also, those are the tools of the trade. You know, you kind of, you need, you need to have adequate working tools to get the job done. So I yeah. get that. I, I'm in a unique position because of the relationship I have with um, PDN Magazine. Like I get to touch so much new gear for those of you that don't know, PDM Magazine sends me cameras and lenses and photo stuff to play with. And then and then it's part of a review that they do online and in, in, in the book. And so I often get to play with a lot of stuff and test it. And so I think that actually kind of helps me not buy more stuff because it's like that urge to buy stuff. Like I, I get to play with it instead of buying it. And so that, that, helps me, <laughs> that helps me out a lot. Otherwise, I'd probably have even more stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like going to the camera store and like you hold everything. And you caress it and you sniff it and then you get in the car and go home. I, I, I honestly, I envy that. I, I think that's probably one of the harder bits about when you're in the gear buying process. It's, you know, I, I think inherently all, most photographers are a little bit on the technical nerdy side of things. Like we like to look at spec sheets. We like to think about, you know, what's more technically impressive. Um, not all the time, obviously, because that, that we always talk about that doesn't matter. But uh, to a right. certain extent, we like to nerd out on it. That's one of the harder parts is you, you, you can go on reviews that you see on the internet, but being able to put your hands on the equipment is definitely one of the things that truly helps. I mean, able to find out how the menu system works to kind of see what the, you know, for especially these new mirrorless cameras, the EVF blackout might be. If things like that are always really, really helpful and they can help you make a, a, a slightly more educated or informed decision being that it's your money. There's a lot of effort being put into testing and reviewing gear right now, obviously. And it's kind of overkill because there really aren't a lot of bad cameras out there right now when you look at image quality and stuff, you know, and it's, and I guess depending on what you're doing with it, but you know, I, it's tough, man. Sometimes I get bogged down and like you read a bunch of reviews or like I'm working on a bunch of reviews. I'm just like, it's just a camera. <laughs> All you need is, you know, ISO shutter speed and aperture. Like everything else is gravy on top of that. I, I don't have the experience to kind of go off on this, but I don't, I think it's weird how we are coming as far as technology goes, and especially within cameras, like to your point, we're in this time of age where everyone's very much about like the stats, about the technical aspects of each camera. Yeah. And I think that we're on this almost yearly upgrade cycle mentality now, like it started with cell phones. Yeah. And now we start seeing this like in other devices that we use to do our job, our craft, like it's in computers now, like it's in cameras, especially. So you'll have people that are like, oh, I just saw this come out or like I, I was going to buy this camera because I needed it or I wanted to use it for a job. But 
I'm kind of waiting for the next one to come out because we're halfway yeah. through the year and they might make an announcement soon. And, you know, I think that if you go back, I'm not too sure most photographers of the film era were like, yeah, my Minolta bodies are crap. I'm waiting for the newer ones to come out. <laughs> like, I think that they just kind of had it. They had made that investment and they just rolled with it until the stuff was broken. Yeah, you know, I think to an extent. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, there was there was advancements in autofocus and the film winding and loading yeah. and all that good stuff. But like, I have to imagine there was a certain element of like, just shoot what you got, right? You know, until it's it's been used, right? Um, versus now, where interesting. go ahead. No, I was like, versus now, where you have this idea that you're going to buy this today, like if you bought a camera today, like oh, but in a year, the next version's going to come out, and that's going to have the setting or the feature that you needed. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> you know, that, that's the problem is that like, it, it is such a fast, uh, changeover cycle now that like, you, most people don't even know what they need. They just hear something. And so they think they need it. You know what I mean? Like really, does anybody need IAF? No. Two card slots. Does it, <laughs> does it make your life a little bit easier? Yeah. But how many of the cameras actually do it well? Most of what I read online is people bitching about how the IAF isn't as good as so-and-so's. It's like, all right, well, now I'm just reading a bunch of like negative reviews. Like, show me the good stuff, you know? You got by without it for years before mm -hmm. you ever knew it was a thing. Yeah. And now because it's been brought to your attention, it's like it's a it's a live or die type of situation. Like, I can't not have it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I, you know, it's so I know when I started off, I was like, I buy everything. And and that's true. But but I just like I just told you before we started rolling here, like. I've really in the last 10 years only owned three primary cameras. You know, I went from, I went through a bunch real quick. I did like, cause I was start off with Canon. I did like the 20 D the, the, I did 20 D a 30 D a 50 D. And then I jumped to a five D Mark two and I owned that camera for many years. And then I went to the five DS and from the five DS, I went to the um, phase system that I have now with a slight Hasselblad detour in between, but that's a different story. Um, the, but the, the, you know, the thing is like, I held on to those and I beat the crap out of those cameras and they, they did what I wanted them to do. There was a lot of lenses that came along and lighting that came along and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's where I tend to blow my load of money is on lighting and studio stuff, you know, and not so much the, the actual camera that, that takes the picture. I've, I've, I've noticed that I've hold on to those a lot, but it's the Matthews rolling stance that will send you down that hole <laughs> at, you know, however much they cost. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think, you know, you can go either way. There's no right or wrong. I know guys who are still shooting D4 bodies, Nikon D4 bodies, and they think that they're the greatest thing on the planet. They've also never touched a D5, so they don't have to have that knowledge of there is something maybe possibly better out there. I mean, honestly, to this day, there are there's uh there there's two Canon bodies that at base ISO I absolutely love, and I almost think about digital sensors as like film stocks. Like they mm -hmm. have like different ways they they see they you know they they totally. see the world. Um, but the five D two and the one D X three. I'm not sorry, one D one D S three. That's before they had the X one D S three. Those cameras at base ISO come up with this incredible image, like. I don't know what there's something and I think from a technical standpoint they're probably very much like limited to what we can have today. Yeah. But there's just something special about the way that those things rendered pictures. I don't know, there's something really nice about them. And I mean like to your point like there are so many people out there that have built their careers on a 5D2 one camera and you just ride that train yeah. until until it's the end of the line, you know. Yeah. I think Canon also helped us out with that because they were the, Canon was actually spacing their cameras so far so apart far at out. one point that like it was kind of helpful to me <laughs> you know i'm sure if they'd come out with more cameras i would have been like oh shit i gotta get on board with this but that kind of helped you know i mean like the the rate at which sony drops cameras at this point like kind of frightens me like you're yeah. flooding the market so hard and i love sony's unlike you um <laughs> i still like sony let's not let's not mix words here let's let's cut back i wish we could just like cut to that clip of you saying i hate sony's <laughs> I never said I hate Sony's. I just, they don't work for my br how my brain works. That's exactly what you said, actually. You, you hold your tongue, David Patino. You hold your tongue. But seriously, I, th I look at what they're doing. I look at the, the rate at which they're dropping cameras. And I think to myself, like, how long before this bubble bursts? Yeah. I mean, it, that's the, it's that yearly upgrade cycle yeah. mentality. It's, it's, it's like, gonna, I, I mean. We're going to win, though, because all the prices are going to drop. 
and you can get last year's model for a steal. Yeah. I mean, uh, and uh, look, I'll 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 even call up my own camp here. Fuji is uh, is doing that now. They came out with the XT3. Yeah. This incredible new camera. It's got all the you know all the new doodads, the backside illuminated sensor, the more megapixels, you know, extra video stuff. And they just put out a camera like I don't know six months ago, the XH1, mm-hmm. which on its own is an incredible piece of gear. Yeah. But now you have these two things, and like they have a couple variances in in the tech the spec sheet, but like they just dropped the price on that thing, like almost by half. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, and now it's not. Now it's not a lot at all. Um, it's like now, I don't, I don't know Fuji. Same same lenses for both system, right? Yeah, yeah. XS, XT and XH. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I mean, like the X, the H one has like in body stabilization. Okay. Um, and I've used one. It's incredible. It's got like a nice hefty grip. I think it's yeah. like meant for more, you know, sports journal shirtos. I want like something, you know, to hold on to. It's a great body. It's incredible technology. Um, it's six months old and it's already like 50% off. Awesome. Um, but because, I mean, it's, which is great. Yeah. For us, everyone wins, but also like there's this mentality of people that may have bought that H1 body that are like, oh, but the X-T3 just came out. So does that mean my camera is now out of date? Do I need to upgrade? Do I yeah. need to have both? And I think Fuji would like you to have both. You should, you know, they'd love for you to have all of the cameras. But from a realistic perspective, I mean, it's it's buying the gear without asking yourself if you really truly need it, if it's really going to help you. Mm. Um, And, you know, like, I don't know. I think about cell phones now. Like, I'm a guy that upgrades pretty much annually on my phone. I'm holding my phone up in the air. You can't see this. But, like, I I don't know why. I don't, like, my iPhone 10 is no better than my 10s. Yeah, I mean, you know, from all intents and purposes, you know, spec sheet aside, like my day to day life has not improved. Right. I don't get business done faster because I have the newest phone. My pictures right. that I take on it aren't that aren't that much better um, because, quite frankly, like if I need a nice picture, I get a, I go pick up my big camera. Right. Um, but I think camera bodies like to so like Sony is the same way. Like they have the A sixty four hundred that just came out, mm-hmm. uh, which looks incredible, but. They just dropped the A7 III, A6300 was before that. Like, and mm-hmm. it's a pretty regular clip. So if you're on yeah. a Sony, if you're a Sony buyer, you know, it's this whole idea of like, well, we're halfway through the year. Do you just wait now? Like if you're, right. if you have an, a, an A7, I don't know, an A7R2 and you were thinking about picking up the R3, are you just going to hold out for the R4? Because now we're right. like kind of getting close to that announcement. <laughs> Because you know it's coming. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, it's like, do you do you part with your money now, or do you wait, or right. like, would you would you better yourself by just taking like it's like Max, like buying buying laptops. There's always another one that's coming out, so just buy it when you need it. Right. I think you, you know? just need to psychologically prepare yourself that you know the morning after you post the picture of your new camera on Instagram that there will be a new one out, and that yours will be immediately. At, outdated technically air quote whatever um and that you just need to get over that real quick because that's if you live that way okay as a professional photographer if you live that way you're probably going to go out of business yeah hopefully you have a good Mm -hmm. side hustle that can keep you in new gear or that you know your day job or whatever but uh, man i can't imagine flipping cameras twice a year or or you know even even once a year i think that would be really hard for me yeah I, I, I tend to I tend to add more to my arsenal as opposed to replacing stuff. That's where I'm at in life. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, but you 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 like to hold on to stuff. Uh, yeah. I are mean, you? Let me ask you this: you you hold on to stuff, and not not in a bad way. But are you are you like attached to it from like an emotional standpoint or a technical standpoint? Do you think? Definitely not a technical standpoint. Um, <laughs> I. <laughs> So, so you're emotionally attached then? <laughs> I, I fall victim to the emotional attachment, I think. Uh, and this is, this, is, this is not a great trait to have, but um, I don't know. Before I, before I did this for a living, I was very much like in love with the, the act and art of photography. It made me happy. I used to think of cameras as like very special, magical things. Right. And, you know, the best way to get rid of that line of thinking is to, to count on it to live your life because then it becomes work. And so now I look at cameras very much as like hammers. Um, but okay. I, get, I get attached to my hammers. I, I like my tools. So I don't know. I also have this, my, my school of thought is to like 
try to accomplish the same or more with less. Um, so with the idea that I will probably upgrade a little bit more often. Um, so you said okay. you've had what three camera bodies in the past, what, 10 years, three and a half. Yeah. I've had, I've had like, let's see one, four or five cameras. Okay. Um, but they've all been, they've all been like two notches down from, from what I would, I guess, magic air quote, professional grade. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean like they're professional systems, but the price points wouldn't, wouldn't make you think that. Right. So like, instead of buying like a one DX or, right. you know, a phase, um, I dropped my coin on like a Fuji XT three or which like, so like I just, uh, uh, I'm selling my Fuji XT one, which I bought when it first came out. And that's what, five years ago. Mm-hmm. So like, but I only spent like, I don't know how much was it go for at that time? Like 1400 bucks. Yeah. So like my, my cost of entry was lower knowing that I was going to ride right. that out and maybe pick up, like I pick up an X pro two along the way and right. I didn't feel bad about it because it's like, I'm not dropping, you know, $10,000 on a system or a camera, um, body just to kind of make me happy. Yeah. Um, and I think like, I don't know, I mean, we can, we can duke it out here on tech specs, but like I have the same mentality about lights, like lighting gear. I love lighting gear. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would love, I would love to be a, a pro photo ambassador or, you know, carry a brown color pack wherever I go. But right. like, that's just not, that's not where I am in my career. I'm not that far. I aspire to it and I'd love to have it one day, but you know, I use, I use Paul Buff, Paul C. Buff gear and a, I use alien bees. I use uh, Godox gear. Yeah. Um, and like it works for the work that I do. It, it's affordable enough where I can, I can use it the way I need to use it to get the job done. And I'm not afraid of breaking it. Um, and like I can, I can extrapolate my cost. Like I can spread that out over a couple of years and it makes sense to me financially. Right. Um, you can live comfortably with that. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can, I can sleep at night knowing that like right. I didn't, I didn't spend all my, all my, my annual budget on, you know, one pro photo light. Yeah. Um, I haven't slept in years, by the way. <laughs> it shows. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, I, I think for me, the big difference between, you know, and, and I'm not knocking it because it is good gear. I, I shot Paul Buff forever. I shot, you know, Godox. I shot all of it. But like, to me, it's when you drop it, that's where the difference is. Like when you physically drop a Godox light, and you physically drop a Profoto Air 1, or A1, sorry, the A1 still fires. And chances are the Godox is going to have a giant crack in it. That's I'm not going to... And, and, and that, I, I'm not saying that that's a reason to spend five times as much on a light. I'm just saying, like, in my experience, having dropped a lot of lighting, that's usually what I see the difference is, is that, like, my Profotos still fire. Even if the LCD is literally hanging out the back of it, they will still fire. As long as the bulb isn't burnt, you know, whatever. And, and, but I've dropped, you know, even my Canon flashes, I used to drop them and screwed right back to the factory because they're just snapped. And that was an expensive flash. I mean, like I, I, I've shot with pro photos before. Um, gosh, I've rented them enough times where I probably have paid for them at by now, but, um, <laughs> I, I love them. I think they're incredible pieces of equipment. And I, I think that, you know, we've talked about this, that they, there's diminishing returns at some yeah. point. It's like, is a is pro photo better than godox i mean i would argue yes and i know that but i mm-hmm. is it is it worth the price delta for me right ah uh, i don't know i could drop yeah. a, i could drop a godox light and still go buy two more yeah. for the cost of one pro photo head um yeah. and for me it's like i'm pretty careful with my things I, I know sometimes crap happens but like that's just kind of is is how it is and you know, I, I can live with that. I can be a little bit more careful or I can try to knowing that that's the concession I'm making. Yeah. Um, I think we we keep coming back to kind of, not that we have a, a single track podcast, but we keep coming back to that point of, it's kind of like, you have to do what you're comfortable with. Absolutely. In your career. And so, you know, if you're comfortable spending two grand on a, on a light, then yeah, why not? You know, I, I guess then yes, you deserve it. And congrats to you. And hopefully you don't break it right away. The whole I doing more with less mentality in my mind comes down to stuff like that. It's like, I like look at like Nick Fancher and his stuff. It's incredible the type of work that he does. And I, I mean, some of his stuff is like lit with like just some, some strobes, you know, like mm-hmm. some regular hot shoe strobes that are off camera. Um, yeah. So I think it's like, it, you know, don't let the gear limit your creativity. That kind of whole 
adage. Yeah. Um, that said, if someone was to plunk down and say like, hey, here's a gift card to, to our good friends at B&H, like go crazy. <laughs> I'd be like, well, yeah, let me go get a bunch of brown color packs and I want yeah. some, I, I want some pro photo stuff for the road. Like I would, yeah, I would, I would treat myself to the nice stuff. Um, yeah. Until then, <laughs> my, mine is uh, make do with what you got. Um, there you go, man. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I That's, think uh, Zach Arias was the one who kind of sold me on that years ago. Uh, you know, if you if you need a light, you don't you don't need a two thousand dollar light. There are a lot of lights out there, especially used lights and really old lights that produce light. And that's all you really need. You need something that pops enough power to get you to F10. Well, you can do that and you can do it real cheap and real simple. And, you know, that was beautiful. I always, I never saw the one light until like the one light seminar until like years later, that video he did. And when I saw it, I was like, this is, this is a guy driving around in a van in Atlanta, getting kicked out of parking lots with a Vivitar from 1987. Like this is what everybody's been raving about. And I got it. I mean, I thought it was amazing. I thought what he was doing with it was really cool. But like, it definitely changed the way I thought about gear. Because at that point, I was getting started in my career. And I was like, man, I really want all that beautiful, shiny stuff. You know? And so, I think it does take someone like that to kind of show you that you can do a lot with a little bit. I, I know Zach. He's a, he's a fellow Atlantan. Um, I've had the pleasure of like talking with him, hanging out in the studio. And I mean, to your exact point, like I remember seeing one light up years, years before I even knew him and thought like this, this is, this is something, right? Like I, it changes the the thing from like the gear is what you need to be successful to, you just need to be creative. You need to think through, you need mm -hmm. to be a problem solver, you know? Yeah. And, and then when, once you've, you know, craft, like once you've honed your problem solving mind, then add in the fancy lights, right? right. Like imagine what you could do if you could do a lot with nothing imagine what you could do with something dude he's um, he's 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 shooting a phase one right now okay with a with a not even an einstein with like the alien bees i've seen him do it he's doing these portrait shoots with a fifty thousand dollar camera and a 300 dollar light he probably bought it used on ebay for 225 no i mean he's <laughs> like that's that's the, thing, the way that he that he does like and zach is going to call me out on this if he ever hears this but like the way he runs his business is to 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 do as much as you can without having to kill yourself to get it, yeah. um, because you know like we are in ex we 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 work in an expensive arena. Like our tools cost a lot of money, and so you kind of have to decide like like how do you want to parse out your budget to get your work done? Do you want to spend it all on the camera body, or do you want to try to spread it out on the lights, or do you want to try to, you know, I, I don't know. I think lately, the past couple of years, what's kept me from buying into every camera that's come along, like every new, like flashy, ooh, this is nice um, thing that has popped up on my feed is I've been really into like grip gear. Yeah. Like <laughs> you don't realize how important and how like useful that stuff is. Right until you shoot with having it like you're like oh wow having c-stands <laughs> on a set is incredible yeah. why was i messing around with these stupid foldable light stands for so long or yeah. like you know having and then you really get into the fact like when you start like c-stands like well matthew's stands are like 170 bucks right i could buy these impact ones that are like 109 and then you realize the difference in weight between an impact and a matthew's is almost eight pounds a Matthew stand weighs eight pounds less, so you can carry way more. Way of them. more, <laughs> you know. So yeah, you go down that slippery slope of <laughs> grip gear. But like, I don't know. Like, I've, I worked at like when I was working at an agency, we went years without having like an Apple box. And then like mm -hmm. the first shoot I did with that, when I had ex access to Apple boxes, like as many as I wanted, my life got so much easier. Right. But it's like it's just a wooden box. <laughs> so like i don't know i'd probably spend like the past couple years I'd be like well you know what instead of buying a fancy light or a new lens i'm gonna i'm gonna buy two c-stands and some some super clamps because yeah. those are not sexy things at all but when you need one it's good to boy have. are you so happy that you have totally because and and here's the other thing um i'll say this if you if you do buy a two thousand dollar pro photo head you do not want to put it on a, on a simple light stand. In fact, yeah. the the pro photo light stands that they send with their kits, I'm not even comfortable putting my heads on those. And they're branded pro photo. Like they say, like yeah, this will work. No, I'm I'm going to put it on a 
giant sea stand or something that's overkill. So just throw this out there uh, on the pros list for cheap lights. Mm-hmm. You could put it on a $10 impact stand and you don't, <laughs> you can sleep easy knowing that, you know what, if that falls, I'm a, I'm Amazon two day shipping away from having my gear right back in my hands. Right. Little bubble wrap around it. No problem. I mean, you know, also, I'll, I'll throw some kudos to um, the Alien Bees slash the Paul C. Buff crew, mm-hmm. those folks. Um, when one of their lights falls, if you like don't set it up properly, whatever, when it does fall, it will break into a million pieces. <laughs> Trust me, I know. I've, I've broken a handful of them in my day. <clears throat> to their credit, you can send them a box of like the shards that you can find from picking them up off the ground, and they will reconstruct it into a workable light. No kidding. I, I've, I'm not even remotely like, uh, I was, wow. on a, I was shooting, I was shooting, this was like last year. Um, and I had an Einstein head in a, uh, in an impact C stand. So there you go, there you go. for impact. <laughs> and, um, I don't know what it was. I think like one of the legs collapsed or something. And this, this light that's like 10 feet up in the air just comes crashing down, uh, was a fun commotion on set we we made a fun <laughs> joke about it but light in a million pieces i mean i think we found pieces of it like shattered across the studio for like at least a week and a half afterwards <laughs> but i put them all into a box sent it off to nashville and it came back as a working unit again wow so incredible warranty so i mean for wait for free uh no i mean not no, for, for free. a slight fee but it was way less than buying a new light Sure, sure. Okay. Um, I think it was like, I don't know, like a hundred bucks. It was like a warranty claim. I don't know. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. Absolutely. And they they couldn't have been nicer about it. Um, They're like, yeah, well, this thing is hardly working, but we'll find a way to make it work for you. (laughs) (laughs) So there's something that, so if you're getting started and you're thinking, oh, I, 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 I need to have pro photo lights because I'm going to drop them like David says I will. (laughs) Sure. Yes. But if you want to cheap out a little bit, you can. And you should. You should. You should. You You're should. just getting started. Yeah. Save your yeah. money. Save your money for a bit better camera. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, that's camera buying with Ashton and David. I don't really know if we answered any questions on that, but no. There but you I'm go. sure we created a lot of questions. Yeah. People like these guys are hacks. <laughs> <laughs> um. So before we started recording, uh, I put out a quick questionnaire um on my Instagram. So if you don't follow me, that's at Ashton Stan. Um, and I asked for y'all, y'all, you listeners out there, all 20 of you, thank you, um, to just shoot us some questions. So I'm going to Q&A this real quick with, uh, we'll do some rapid fire stuff with David here. So first question, um, David, how mm. important is a shot list prior to the shoot? It's the most important thing you could possibly do for a shoot, as far as I'm Preach. concerned. <laughs> um, I, I almost can't even do a estimate without having something of a very crude improper shot list if i don't know remotely what we're doing how many pictures we're trying to make i can't even like begin to think about the job and so once we get past that part i will not do it's very rare i should say (laughs) 90 percent of the time there is a shot list and it doesn't have to be anything fancy it can be a bar napkin that says like all right we're gonna do like 12 silhouettes and then like 15 lifestyle images and then a you know, a headshot like th- that's good enough for me. I don't need anything crazy fancy. And I, I just need to know going into it, like, how am I going to budget my time? How, m- how much time do I spend on these silhouettes? Because, you know, if I don't know that we have 15 other lifestyles to do, then I'm going to spend all day. You know what I mean? So I think that it's, it's literally the most important thing for a shoot. Do you do? Oh yeah. I, I need shot lists. I'm like, and I'm, I'm, I've, famously like gone up and down like where's the shot list we need one of these shot lists i make a big stink about shot lists because you know <laughs> to your point like that's how i budget my time that's how i yeah. figure out what i have to do today and then more importantly i think for me at least when i'm working with a team of people um my biggest fear and i hate it when it happens because sometimes it does is like you you wrap a shoot you come away from a shoot and they go hey did we get one of these or where's oh, that yeah. where's the so-and-so shot and you go okay well we didn't if it was on a shot list i'm gonna definitely make sure we try to take care of that like but if it's not there then i don't know and so i think 
on both sides of the table for me, I find that it's like, it's a, it's a smart thing to do for both sides, right? It's for, if you're that art director, if you're that, that agency, or if you're the client, it's like, by telling me what you need, by putting it in a shot list, I mm -hmm. know that it's important that I have to get it. Yeah. Um, because I don't want you to walk, like, I don't want you to leave our, our, our day without the stuff you need to do your job. Yeah. So like, that's why I if find the shot lists are super important. If it's not yeah, on the it, list, it, it's it, not getting done. Well, yeah, it helps. <laughs> it, it manages expectations. It's like, yeah. okay, well, if I know, if I know I need a, a straight on a three quarter and a top down, that's a very different, uh, that's a different set of marching orders than I just need silhouettes. Right. Or I just need front shots. So, okay, go. cool. That's that one. Um, so yes, we need shot lists. Uh, please make them for us. We very much like them. <laughs> they don't have to be complicated. Um, all right. Next question. Um, <laughs> and like you this. think for for the people that that send us questions you think that we're not gonna put them out there because they're silly but we will because we are shameless do you <laughs> shoot everything in continuous mode because it sounds cool so i to this day no i don't is the, is the actual answer to that question but i will say this to this day almost every time i pull my 1dx2 out of the cabinet i just let it rip just to hear it do whatever 14 frames a second or whatever the heck it is i don't even know such a fun sound it just sounds awesome and so like good. and then every fourth time i'll take the lens cap off so i can actually watch See the them. mirror yeah <laughs> it's a technical marvel how they do that it sounds beautiful I, I i love it i love the sound of it i think it's so much fun it makes me feel giddy inside but uh in real life no actually i think like the 1dx2 the, the the d5 they're actually too fast for me i don't need that many pictures agreed yeah um so no i don't because like i don't <laughs> i don't shoot thousands of herons catching fish so i don't not need yet. that mit not not yet right um call me nat geo <laughs> um so i don't need that but yeah to, to i'm right along with david here like anytime i've ever had a 1dx or a 1ds or anything with a high frame rate i've definitely like indulged you have the, to you have to it's so obnoxious the sound is so to. good yeah and i remember no, the first and, time and i will I inevitably had, post it on instagram too by the way i was about to say i, I remember <laughs> the very first time that i had like so when you're a cps member a canon professional services member yeah. you're able to do gear loans mm -hmm. i don't know if they still do that i haven't been a canon mm -hmm. member in a while but um, I was like, oh man, I want the 1D Mark IV, which was like the speed <laughs> camera. Yeah. And like, first thing I did, I rip this thing out of the box and I get on Instagram, like, you know, you just do like, you just rapid fire it. Um, so yeah, you no, um, you have to. So if you have a high frame rate camera, just appreciate it now and again, even if you don't actually need it. Great question. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, all right, next one. What do you do when your talent isn't talented? Happens all um, the time. <laughs> i will okay so like i'm gonna go out i'm gonna try to reverse this question to a positive thing yeah. um i always look at these as these are challenges for you the photographer or art director or wherever you sit on that side of the fence to coach your talent into giving to getting what you need um being a professionally good looking person for a living is a hard thing to do standing like you would think standing in front of a camera isn't hard it's actually really really hard um Agreed. Yeah, so, and they can only do what you tell them to, right? I mean, mm -hmm. very rarely do you just like, like if you're a photographer and you're not talking to your talent, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. So communicate with your talent. And I always look at those when like when your talent isn't talented. Now, uh, that's kind of a, that's a mean thing to say. Um, <laughs> like if they're, if they're green, if they're new to this whole thing, if they're still, you know, trying to find their, their sea legs as professionally good looking people, then I think it's on us, the creative side, the other side of the, the, the camera to coach them into getting what you need. Um, so that's my answer is coach them. You work with them and you try different things until you get something to what you're looking for. Now, sometimes the angle might not work at all. Some like some shots just don't work for certain people. Just whatever their look is, whatever their their vibe is, it just may not work. And that's OK. Move on to the next shot yeah. or try to improvise a new a new thing off of that. Like you just said, if the angle isn't working or, you know, whatever, that's not a lack of talent on their part. That's just the way they, they look or the way that your lighting is or the way that you're standing with your camera. And so that's okay. That's supposed to happen. Um, when your talent isn't actually talented, like when that actually happens, when you've hired someone and paid them good money and they show up and they just stand there, it's hard to swallow. Um, 
to what you said, that's part of your job. That's part of your job as the photographer, as the, the director of the shoot to coax them into the look and the feel and the pose and the whatever that you actually need. And so I think to answer the question bluntly, what do you do when your talent isn't talented? You work harder. Bottom line. Agreed. Okay. Uh, um, let me ask you, I'm going to ask you one. Yeah, go ahead. How do you start acquiring commercial clients? Ooh, uh, I wish I knew. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hit me up. Uh, yeah, like if anyone's listening, I'm available for hire in Atlanta, Georgia and or anywhere else internationally, you nationally. You start a podcast is what you do. <laughs> that, that's it. That's exactly it. Um, acquiring commercial clients, I I haven't, uh, I don't think there's like a, a copy pasta formula for this. Um, I think it's very much... Um, it's a little bit of networking mixed with right timing, mixed with some good luck, mixed with a solid body of work. Um, I think that, you know, not, not every one person is meant to shoot every job just because I think that's just the nature of what we do as artists. You know, we all have different styles and different looks and feels and aesthetics. And sometimes that's the right thing for a job and sometimes it's not. Um, I think the challenge to acquiring commercial clients is to, to, to network, you gotta, to, to get out there, to, to let it be known that this is what you do and this is how you do it. And should the need arise for, for that happen, that come up for somebody, that you're available to help them solve that problem. Um, and I think sometimes it's, sometimes it's just dumb luck. Like, you know, I think like the last project I did was actually um, someone heard our podcast through, uh, through David's network and they saw that I was based here in Atlanta and they reached out. And so to that, like, that's just being at the right place at the right time and, and having that situation. Now, um, for people that are far more successful than me, because there are so many of them out there, um, I have to imagine it's probably a combination of that networking, maybe having a good, a good artist rep. Like if, if you believe in that, um, th those people, they work hard to make sure that your book is in front of decision makers. So that's another way to do it. Um, and I, I don't know, I think this is just how I, I can only speak for, for me on this and David, I want to hear yours, but, um, I think I've been lucky enough to, to the goal being to make great work with people that I respect in my circles and in the industry. And that word has somehow traveled to other people. And that's how the work has come along. It's you do one really, you would do one thing really well for somebody with a team of really good people and that kind of that conversation carries a little bit and that brings you into a conversation about the next one you nailed it i don't have to say anything fair enough <laughs> for once for once i sound maybe like i know what i'm doing you didn't let me finish i was gonna say but i will <laughs> oh well there we go <laughs> no i think i think number one is i I hear this a lot. I get this question a lot from a lot of people. And I think number one is you need to understand what commercial photography is. Your photos are being used to make someone else money. Okay. And so there's a level of understanding and quality and care and all that, that, that goes into what I would consider to be commercial photography. And so, you know, within that realm, I mean, commercial photography could be taking a picture of the desserts for the Italian restaurant down the street, or it could be shooting for, uh sarah lee frozen cakes nationwide you know what i mean like there's there's a wide range of commercial photography so i think first and foremost you need to realize that you're not going to shoot for sarah lee on day one but that you should start by going to mario's bakery down the street and saying hey i'd love to photograph your cannoli that sounded dirty <laughs> yeah and, that's, uh, <laughs> don't say that out loud to people and um <laughs> And then, you know, and then that's how you build your portfolio of, of commercial stuff. Commercial photography is also, uh, you, you can kind of build fake portfolios very easily. You can sit in your home and photograph product if you want. You can photograph your friends in a, in a fashion that looks commercial, you know? And so um, I think first what you need is to have images that look commercial. And then you can start asking people, to hire you commercially. And it's really that simple. It, it could literally be though, like walking into the door and be like, Hey, I love your food here. I'd love to, um, take some photos of it. And, and maybe you guys can use them like on your website or whatever. And, and that th there's your foot in the door. So this is a good piggyback. Cause I think, um, like, let's say, how do we work from let's, you have a really great body of, of, of like conceptual work. Like let's call it like studio 
conceptual work. How do you translate that into a book for commercial, right? So it's like, I'm, I'm like really good at making one specific type of widget. Like I really like to make this type of thing. How do I, how do I turn that into a commercial job? Was that a question? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe a, a question mark at the end. I, you know, I, I'm actually, I'm reading this like literally. And, and the question is, how do you start acquiring commercial clients? And so I'm trying to think back, like when I started acquiring commercial clients. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I what I did was I made friends with people who already had contacts in the commercial world and, you know, through reps and through agencies and through all that kind of stuff. And so that would be my like hard and fast answer to the entire thing. It's like, you want to be a commercial photographer, you want to get commercial clients, start making friends with people that are already have that connection. No question mark at the end. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one. Let's see. Um, what do you do when your client is wrong? The um, client is always wrong. <laughs> and, and, and at the same time, the client is always, always right. The client right. will always win. The age old, the customer is always right. The, yep. You know, the, the client is your customer. And so really in the end, you are being hired to do whatever they want they might be looking to you for more direction sometimes but at the end of the day um you know if they want the the pink background and the purple eyeliner that's that's it that you're going to do it because you know that's what you've been hired to do you're you're the executioner of said photograph and so you can you know hold their hand and walk them in different directions and show them different things and try to get them to do it your way but you know, bottom line is they're going to be right in, in that weird sense. And just remember that you don't have to show anybody those pictures. I, I, I shoot a lot of jobs that the world will never see. You know, they won't know that I shot it because it wasn't my cup of tea or, you know, I didn't, I didn't really like what I was doing. And so, but it's fine. It paid the bills that day and, and I move on from it. Or, or maybe right before we stopped, I took four more pictures of the way that I would have liked it. And those are the ones that end up on my website. You know, I have a lot, most of the pictures on my website were not the pictures that were run in the campaign, maybe, because I don't like smiley people and I shoot a lot of smiley campaigns. So I have a lot of test shots of people not smiling and I tend to like those and those are on my website. But yeah, I, I think the, the, the walk away from me for this question is your client is never wrong. Just remember that. Yep. I agree. Um, <laughs> but they have, they they have the money, they sign the checks that, so their, their, their word is king. I think that if there's ever an instance where there's a creative dif there's a difference in create like creative vision um i think of it as an opportunity to to try to like if there if a client may be misinformed maybe try to explain and help them understand at least where your expertise and perspective comes in but ultimately knowing that it's their widget it's their money it's their project and i will do what they want me to do and um I think that even in, in some cases, like when I've come to the table and said, well, I, what if we tried it this way? There's like that kind of like trying to adjust. Mm -hmm. um, you come in with a happy middle ground that you are delightfully surprised about. You know, like I think there are some images where like client had, I want this. And I go, well, what if we tried it like this? You know, something a little bit more my speed. And we land somewhere in the middle that's actually really, really good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're, but they're never wrong. <laughs> they're never wrong um all right <laughs> next question uh, why do really fast lenses have an aperture when everyone just shoots them wide open i get the question yeah okay um answer it <laughs> because the world is more than just bokeh um <laughs> or bokeh or blurry backgrounds so you should probably explore that it's a fun world in there um I don't know. I probably just upset a bunch of wedding photographers. Um, <laughs> Why does everybody like everybody I gets a one, two lens and they immediately set it to one, two. Why? Cause they don't look at them at a hundred percent where you see like everything is completely out of focus <laughs> or because they've never had to shoot focus charts in a studio before at one, two. Cause like, is there anything more agonizing than that? It's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. Um, ah, yeah. I mean, I mean that you buy them so you can shoot wide open. That's the thing. Like you pay the extra money for a fast lens. So you have the, the, like the, the, the capability of shooting wide open. Right. So mm -hmm. if you're an event shooter, you shoot weddings or maybe artistically, you like to have, have everything blown, like, 
like focus wise, your depth of field is super shallow, then that's why you spend the money to buy the ultra fast lenses. Um, that being said, like I, I, I own fast lenses. I've owned fast lenses. I've owned a 1.2 in my life. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've, I can count on one hand, the number of times I've shot on one, uh, like wide open as like a, as like a, this is intentional. Like I'm doing this because I don't know, like I always stop down always yeah because at 1.2 nothing is in focus for me and like yeah. that does not make a good picture so like yeah. i like like the 50 the 50 like canon 50 1.2 is an incredible lens and a huge hunk of glass but i always shoot it at like 1.82 like f2 yeah. like i i like how it looks at f2 i think it still has all the dreamy looking bouquet it looks really great the fall off is beautiful but i can actually see something that is sharp <laughs> yeah um so much, much like much like lenses uh, focus better in the center and fall apart at the edges. That's keep that in mind with apertures. You know, um, lenses fall apart at far ends of the aperture spectrum. That's a real thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and just like at f twenty two, your lens looks a little soft. Well, it's doing that at one point two as well. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's everything's so so pushing the envelope at that point. And so I think that you know. For me, like like same, like I, I love my fifty at at like F two. I think it looks really mm -hmm. cool. You know, mm -hmm. like and I've shot it at one two. It's usually though because I don't have enough light. And not yep. because I'm going for a the eyeballs in focus and nothing else around it is, you know. Yeah, like, I think like any time I've ever shot wide open, it's circumstantial rather than intentional. Absolutely. Hundred yeah. percent. It's like um, I don't have enough, I need more versus yeah. like a oh, let me just blow out the background with this and Yeah. The only exception I have to that is the the seventy to two hundred, the two eight. I shot that lens at two eight more than I ever should have. Well, because at two eight, it's beautiful. That that lens yeah. is a, um, that's the thing though. Engineering marvel. When you dip below f two, things get weird, man. Like one eight, one four, and one two. Uh, like I, everybody's ripping about this Noctilux or no, no, the uh, Nocta, whatever the new Nikon that's going to be a point nine five. Good effing luck shooting it at 0.95 here's what you do that you take whatever lens you have now and you put vaseline on the front <laughs> that's what it'll look and like then, at and then and then poke a pin through the center right, just of it in the and center. that's that's what you have to deal with very dreamy um I, honestly look here here's what i would love i i i uh, uh i like I, I look at a lot of wedding photographers work i like where that is stylistically now i think it looks really great it's very bright and airy and fun and beautiful and um Here's what I would do. I would challenge, I would challenge wedding photographers or anyone that likes to like shoot portraits wide open like that. Stop down like two stops and mm -hmm. and see like and see the difference and and just maybe maybe you might like it maybe you don't, but just try it. Um, just because I think like if you're shooting one point or if you're shooting one point four one point two wide open whatever and you stop down the f two for example that's not that big of a difference I don't think. Mm -hmm. um, but your keeper rate will go way up. Way up. Way up. And you won't have to throw away half your take from the day because you missed the focus. Or yeah. not you, your camera missed the focus. It's just like from a technical sp perspective, that's super hard to nail. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I, I think I also think that like blowing out backgrounds is kind of like a it's an overdone thing, you know? Um, yeah. give me depth i want to i'd like to see depth nowadays like i want to see stuff give me detail give me <laughs> you know like be creative within that space don't just try to isolate the background on everything you do um so yeah anyway that was a long tangent for that um question David, number seven this, this is a good one for you i like this one for you yeah. what's your favorite lighting setup for a studio shoot i don't have a favorite lighting setup i do have favorite lighting modifiers though Ooh. And I tend to lean towards them. Okay, so let's let's um, let's go down the rabbit hole. Because lighting setup is tough. Lighting setup is like that's really shoot specific, you know. Yeah. Um, yes, there are things I go to over and over and over again, and it also has to do with the the modifier though. So my favorite is a beauty dish to this day. Um, I love the ability that the beauty dish has if you know how to use it. It's got a lot of cool little things that you can do to it. Um, if you're lucky enough to own a grid or a sock for it, it opens you up to a lot of other things. Um, it's a wildly versatile uh, modifier in my mind. And and 
is often quite used in the same position. So, you know, uh, overhead, slightly in front, 45 degrees pointed down. That's like your typical beauty dish setup. And so I guess to answer the question, that would be my favorite setup. Like if I don't, if I have no good ideas, I go to that. If I'm shooting corporate headshots, I can use that. If I'm shooting beauty and makeup, I can use that. So it, it's, it's a nice modifier that gets me a lot of different options across the board. Um, so maybe I like it because it's so versatile. So your desert island modifier is a beauty dish. Absolutely. Silver, I love it. Not white. Oh, that's uh -huh. different. I, I would have thought white for sure. Uh -uh. <laughs> silver with a sock or? Um, silver with a grid. Ooh. I'm Directional. a grid guy. Yeah. Directional I like light, the man. Grid. I, I'm, I'm so big on, on the idea of treating your background like it's a second subject and lighting that separately from the, from the person in front or the subject in front. And so having a grid on any light prevents that spill. And it lets me do that way better than I ever could. So that's my nerdy little answer to that question. But what is your favorite lighting setup? Uh, let's see. Okay, so we'll all try to answer the same way. As far as modifiers go, um, gosh, I'm in an Octa thing. I'm like in an Octa phase right now. I just, yep. I love Octas. Um, but honestly, my favorite hands-down modifier that I've ever used on any shoot that I don't get to use nearly enough is... Um, uh, a six by or a 12 by scrim or silk. Delicious. I love silks. I, I just like love large, huge, large, soft light. Um, so like I did a campaign like a year or two ago where I, uh, I had a, a big 12 by 12 and I shot like three pro photo B one heads through it or like bounce them back through umbrellas. Mm -hmm. Uh, just delicious. Oh my gosh, I love that kind of light. It's it's so much fun, but it's also like a bear to set up because you need like right. space and stands and people. And um, so when that's not happening, um, I'm I'm just a big fan of parabolic octas. Never so like the one. the ones that kind of like they they have like a little shape to them and they are more directional. So it's mm. like to, to me, I think you get like some of the flexibility of controlling it like you would a beauty dish but then you get the softness of an Octa. Mm. Um, so, I don't know. That's just where I'm at right now. I love those. You're uh, entitled. And, <laughs> and as far as light, like light setups, I, I think I like it the same reason that you like beauty dishes. Like, I, I can go to a lot of different things having one of those Octa modifiers. Like, I can feather it. I can light it from above. Um, I can do it, you know, like a standard softbox setup, that kind of thing. I think it's a... Yeah. I don't, if, I'm, I'm if, big in one light setups recently. Really? Yeah, I've been I've been really vibing with that. You the do it very well, though. I've seen your portfolio. You do one light very, very well with like the big palsy buff umbrellas or like the big. Oof, you're good that, at that. When they when so the big seven foot PLM by palsy mm. buff, that thing is incredible. Um, yeah. Just you need to have like crazy support to hold it because it weighs a ton. Yeah. Okay. Um. So that yeah, uh, I like I like octas. Um. Last one, uh, and I'll start this with you. Do you ever turn down work because you have too much on your plate? No, I don't. I don't ever turn down work. I'm I'm one of those people that if the if the client calls and I happen to be too busy now to do it, uh, I try to make time available to them as soon as possible. Uh, whether that means you know uh, working on the weekend or working in the evening or something like that, um, I don't like to send people away. Uh, obviously, because that means I'm sending money out the door. So I, I wish I was busy enough to to turn work away. <laughs> I think we all wish we were that busy. Um, but yeah, to me, it's it's you'd be silly to do that. Um, I, I've turned work away because it's not what I do. I've turned work away because I don't like the client, but I've never turned it away because I was just too busy at the time. I I, I'd, I know that I might be busy now, but next month I will not be busy, and so. You just have to get it done because it's not going to come back. We, you you just said this to me right, right before we, we started rolling that you were, you're like, man, I'm slammed, but it's not going to be this way next week. So just got to go with it. That's kind of it. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I think, well, and I don't know. I like when someone approaches me and says, Hey, I, I see your stuff. I like it. I want to do some of it with you for our company or our thing or whatever it is. Like there's a part of me that goes, that's, that's really not like, that's, that's nice. It's an honor. Like I'm honored to even get a nod. So let me try to help 
Mm-hmm. Let me try to help you. Um, let me try to, you know, do what I can to, to, to help your project or whatever that might be, be successful. Um, knowing that like, I have other stuff going on that I'll have to figure out how to juggle time-wise. And I'll be frank, like I haven't fully quite figured out all of it yet because I think the other elements that I didn't have to deal with before being an agency guy have now come into play, like running your business and invoicing and marketing. And so like, that's all kind of juggling through my, my brain. Um, I think my only, my only saving grace has been, um, trying to manage expectations and say like, to your point, you know, like, I'm busy today. If you can hold for, you know, a little bit longer or like I have availability next week, that's when things really start to open up calendar wise, then like trying to kind of block and tackle like where your time blocks are and where you might be able to fit in that request or that need for somebody into your schedule. Um, Cause you're to your point, like I, I don't have enough at the point where like, (laughs) I can just say, no, thanks. You're not that busy. Um, yeah. yeah. And plus I want to, I want to right. shoot all the things. I want to make all the widgets. I, I want to help. I want to do <laughs> stuff. So yeah. Um, not yet. I, I haven't gotten to that point yet. And maybe someday you'll get there. I don't know. Next week. Maybe not. Probably. I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, uh, okay. So let's talk cameras. Great Q and a, yeah. Uh, let's talk cameras now. Um, so last week we talked about the Leica, which, um, the dentist cameras. Um, so let's, let's pull it into a similar, a similar vein. Um, Panasonic mm-hmm. S1, the full frame mirrorless Lumix. Oh yeah. Okay. I know all about it. All new system. It, it, I, it has, it's very, it has like elements of like Fuji in there and it kind of looks like a little bit like, like a Sony. Nikon, Sony. It, yeah. It's got that mirrorless it, look. Yeah. It's got it. It's got a look. Um, is, is, is it? It's technically not even out yet, right? No, it I think just they just announced like, it last mm-hmm. week. So I, I did read the specs on it. Um, it's right. Uh, it, mm, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna just gonna say it. I think it's right in line with what Canon and Nikon just dropped. I think it's 100 in line. I'm not saying it does all the same things. I'm not saying that it's the same camera, but I believe that it is right in line with those things, and it might actually put Panasonic in back in the running as a viable camera system for prosumers and maybe even professionals there i said it boom however the lens lineup probably sucks but the lens lineup kind of sucks with nikon and canon too so for you know mirrorless at least oh yeah i was gonna say for like <laughs> really no <laughs> <laughs> no no, no. Um, but we've got but th- but you've got adapters for them so at least you can use your your glass so i think i think the big thing with th- with this is that you know the lens lineup is going to be sketchy. I think it's really interesting where this whole mirrorless thing is going now. Cause you have like these different companies like vying for top dog, um, going into like full frame versus APS-C versus yeah. medium format. If you're the Fuji people. Um, so I, I don't, I think like now is such an exciting time for, for gear nerds everywhere to be like, look at all these things. Let's compare specs. Um, that said, be nice to each other. Cause <laughs> based on our last know, episode and don't every be, other don't be thing, a hateful we internet guy. Don't be that one of those people. Um, all right. Well, let's see. Um, Did you see the full spec sheet? It's got two card slots. So like definite buy then. Now, I, here's why it's like a complete win for me. It has two card slots. Not only does it have two card slots, it has two differing card slots. It has an XQD Ooh. and an SD. So like, honestly, I think if you're going to do a dual card slot, you do it like that because then you have like two totally different media sets. It's a total win. You're going to win with the, the, the Panasonic. You know who really wins here? Sandisk <laughs> or Lexar, who's back now? Yeah, I know. What, that amazing? what was that all about? I don't know. Um, I don't want to take away yeah. from this, but the S1, I think the S1, and there is the S1R as well. Um, they both offer the, the dual card slot, so I would run out and buy one as soon as it hits the street. I want Canon to come out with a, a, a one, bo- like a film body that has two, two film rolls to uh, film. If it did like dual 35 millimeter. That would be, or like 120 and 35, two different Ooh, formats. <laughs> I get you. I get you. Somebody had to have done this. Yeah. I'm gonna maybe, this I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening with us at episode five of Office Hours. Uh, really appreciate y'all's questions. 
if you're out there listening and you have questions or you want to hear us tackle a topic, please send us a note. Um, you can hit me up on social at Ashton Stan or David A. Patino for the IG crowd. This podcast is produced in-house at the Tannery Studio in Stanhope, New Jersey by my friend David Patino uh, and produced by Katie Lantuck at KOPR. Um, great episode. Thank you so much for hanging with us and we will see you guys in the next one. Next time. Peace. Peace.